it is different looking in here today. I'm, I like it. I, you know, I liked it seeing y'all all like just crammed together and people sweating because it was so full. And uh, we had our first service this morning, so hopefully that alleviated some some parking for you. And you got you got a little extra room around you today, so there should be about a couple of hundred more extra seats today. So the first service was great. And uh, as a matter of fact, before the service started, Matthew and I were standing at the front door, and I said, oh, "That seems kind of more normal." You know, seeing, because y'all, whenever there's that, that many people that we've been having, I, I'm used to y'all sitting like in the same places, and especially the first service, and so y'all have, I was all discombobulated the last few weeks, so now I can see who's here, and if you're not here, then I can notice it, and I can call you and harangue you for a long time. But uh, it is it is good to be here today. Uh, this uh, this weekend, I, I, I had a birthday this weekend, uh, this past weekend, what was really interesting, I got the greatest gift I've ever gotten, I mean, this is how you know you're getting old. Uh, my wife and kids got me readers, you know, the little glasses so I can see up close. I was like, oh, man, I'm getting old. So anyway, that, but you know what's terrible is they work. And uh, so that's really bad. So I'm not wearing them up here, so I'm still going to squint because I got pride. So maybe the Lord will deal with me on that. Uh, anyway, uh, we are talking about love today. So hopefully you noticed that as we were going through our music and we're going through our series of uh, brand new. This is the last day in it talking about the different ways that God brands us. And one of the most significant ways that God puts his brand on his people is love. And love is something that absolutely transforms and changes a person's life. And so that's what our focus is going to be on today, talking about the love of God. Uh, But before we get there, I'm sure that many of you have noticed that at, at Village Church we have a lot of kids. Um, it is not unusual, as a matter of fact, it's normal for us to have about 200 to 250 children, you know, from babies to like, uh, let's see, fifth grade, uh, and then we have another 100 plus kids that are here on Sunday youth that, that are in the worship service as well, and so there's a lot of kids here. Now, as much as I like the kids in the church, and I think that we have the coolest youth group that there is, and our, our young people, uh, the children's area is absolutely fantastic, I have three kids in the group that I like better than the rest of them. And it's, uh, it's the Thurston kids. No, it's my kids. And I, uh, Hank, Glenn, and Janie. Now, why is that? It's easy. It's because they're mine. And, and you might say, well, that doesn't sound very nice. Hey, tell you something. If you're a mom and dad, you are the same way. Uh, the kids that you like the best today in this building, I'd say most of the time anyway, are your children. Well, today we are looking, of course, on the subject of love, and we're going to see that God loves you. God loves people. Now, now why is it that God loves us? Is it because we're, you know, that we're really intelligent and smart, which we are. You know, we're really smart. Uh, is it because He likes us so much because we are good-looking people, and y'all are, you're good-looking people? That's not why God likes us. It's not why God loves us. The very simple reason that God loves us is because He made us. You know, we belong, we belong to Him. And I think that's very important for us to begin to understand. Because when we begin to understand that God has branded us with love, it will change our lives. It will make our lives different. And we all remember, I mean, if you remember, I like the, the, the marriage video that they had, but you remember whenever you discovered that your spouse, you know, before they were your spouse, what it was like when you discovered they love you, loved you? Now that's, that's kind of, that's pretty neat, isn't it? 
That's a great feeling. Love is something that changes us. But then when you begin to understand that God loves you, it is something that can also change your life. And so in our scripture today, we're going to see the Apostle Paul share with us some ways that God loves his people. And my fear is that many of us really haven't, haven't embraced the idea that God loves that God loves us. Now, I think we like to think of in general, you know, there's a verse in the Bible, 1 John 4, 8, says God is love. We're very familiar with that. You know, that's sort of a characteristic of God. But we have a difficult time understanding the love of God when it becomes specific to us. And I think a lot of people struggle with that. We think, well, how, how in the world could God love somebody like me? How could God care about me considering all the junk and the garbage and the baggage that I'm carrying in my life? And if you have that feeling in your life or you have that belief in your life, it's my hope that you're going to come away here not just knowing that God loves you know, the world, but that God also loves you. And when you understand that, it changes you. And so if you have your Bible, we're going to look in Romans chapter 5, uh, verse number 6, and just very, very simply, hopefully... We're going to look in these verses and we're going to see some of the ways that God loves people. Now, a little background information is that love was really a, a, just this idea of God's love for us. It's sort of a unique concept, maybe not for us today, but during this time. Because the religious leaders of the day basically were teaching people that you had to earn God's love, that you had to earn his good favor. You know, God has the commands in the Bible. There's the Ten Commandments. There's a lot of laws in the Old Testament that have been, that have been given. And so if you're going to please God and God's really going to like you, then you have to follow these rules and these regulations. And I'm all for rules and regulations. I mean, you shouldn't leave here saying, well, it doesn't really matter, so I'm going to break them. They're there for a reason. But the teaching was that if you didn't keep them perfectly, then God didn't love you as much. And that, that caused a lot of, you can imagine, a lot of consternation with people. Because a lot of people were trying really hard to do everything just right. Um, I don't know how many of you in here are perfectionists, but if you're a perfectionist and, and you do well, you know, you're always seeing things that could be done better. And it gets really frustrating because you understand you're not perfect. And it can really be something that weighs you down. And you begin to think, I'm never going to achieve my goal of doing everything right. Well, the people in religion were struggling because they began to understand, I can't constantly do right. And so they began to wonder, does God love me? You know, when I'm not performing well, does God love me less? And so what Paul wanted to point out was that God, regardless of your performance, and I'm not saying performance isn't important, but regardless of performance... God loves you. And when he loves you and he brands you with his love, it will change your life. So, so how, what are some ways God loves us? Now, I just want to see three real simple ways that God loves us from our text today. The first way that God loves us is he loves us when we're helpless. And I really like this one. Now, God loves us when we're helpless. In verse number 6 it says, and you'll see where I got this, For while we were still helpless, at the appointed moment... Christ died for the ungodly. And this is where a lot of people sort of get this idea that Christianity is it can, it's sort of like a crutch. You know, it's for helpless people. You know, people that can't, 
you know, they can't, you know, buck up on their own and make it for themselves. And so there's sort of this macho idea where some guys can think that, you know, religion, that's for, you know, that's for weak people. You know, Christianity, that's for women and children. It's not for men. You know, you like my voice there? Uh, so that's, uh, you know, that's, so there's a, sort of that idea of that it's, it's sort of, you're sort of tough if you don't need God. Because you can handle it on your own. But here's what we need to understand. I don't care how tough you are, we are all helpless. We are all helpless in the eyes of God. Now, now why is this? Ephesians 2.1 is very helpful. Here's, here's one reason why we're helpless. It says, you're dead in your trespasses and sins. Colossians 2.13 backs this up again. It says, you were dead in trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. You know what this means? It means you don't have any life in you. It means spiritually you are not alive. And if you're not alive, you are dead. And if you are dead, you're helpless. You, know, you can't do a whole lot of things when you're dead. I mean, you've, we, none of us have ever been to a performance before a concert and said, Yeah, that dead guy, he had a great voice. And it doesn't happen. Why? Because dead people don't do anything. You know, dead people are absolutely helpless. And so if we are dead spiritually, and the Bible says we all are in our nature, we're all dead spiritually, we need help because we are helpless. And so we need somebody to raise us to life spiritually. And sometimes we try to do this on our own. We think we can. We think, well, if I'm going to... I'm going to really impress God, and I'm going to do more good things than bad things, and then whenever I do that, then God's going to be impressed, and, and then he's going to say, this guy's really, he's really on the ball here. He's productive. You can't be productive when you're dead. You know? You can't do more good things than bad things when you are spiritually dead. And that's why it's interesting to me that in the midst of our helplessness, in the midst of being spiritually dead, you know what God did? He loves us. And that make any sense. Why would God love something that cannot return or someone that cannot return love to him because he's dead? Here's why. Because God has power to take the dead and to raise them to life. And he proves this in the Bible. I mean, there, there are examples in Scripture when dead people were raised to life again. Uh, one of my favorite ones is the story of Lazarus, a great friend of Jesus. He died. Jesus comes to the tomb four days after Lazarus has been dead. And it's really interesting. You can look at it in John chapter 11. And he comes there and he says, I want to I go to the tomb where Lazarus is, open up the tomb. And everybody's like, man, he's been dead four days. Don't open that tomb up. It's not going to be good. He's opened the tomb up. He says, Lazarus, come out. You know what Lazarus did? He came out. He's wearing grave clothes. He said, get that stuff off of him so he can walk. But he comes out alive. Uh, Jesus, three days, he was in the tomb. What did Jesus do on the third day? He rose from the grave. Now, what's the significance of this? The significance is that Jesus has the power of life over death. And you might say, what does that mean to me? What it means is that God's love for me is not based on performance. God doesn't love you more because you do more good things than somebody else. And he doesn't love you less because you've done bad things before. See, God just simply loves you. In the midst of your spiritual death, God just loves you. He loves you when you're helpless. 
Matter of fact, it's not that you're just helpless. Verse number 6 says that you are also ungodly. And yet God still loves us. And you know, whenever we understand our condition and the fact that God still loves us, it will change your life. When you understand, somebody loves me even though I don't deserve it. That will make a difference in your life. There is a, uh, there was a, the Scottish POWs during World War II had this thing called a buddy system. And uh, in their buddy system, what they did is usually a superior officer, an older guy, would take care of a younger soldier, as POWs, because they're trying to keep morale up, want to take care of them. And uh, in the Japanese POW camps, they, they were brutal. And so it was just absolutely a very difficult situation there and became it was a free-for-all. Was, you didn't care about anybody else. You're just trying to, trying to survive on your own. And you would steal from your, your common prisoner, your fellow prisoners. It didn't matter. They're all from Scotland. So they had this buddy system to try to kind of curb that. Uh, one guy's name was Angus McGillivray. And he was the biggest, baddest POW Scottish soldier there was. Nobody messed with this guy. But he had a buddy. And his buddy was taking care of him. His buddy ended up getting very ill, and, uh, and he, was, he was dying. And it was very cold. His conditions were horrible. He, somebody had stolen his buddy's blanket because he was sick, and you, you only steal from the weakest. And Angus found out about it. He didn't know who stole the blanket, but he said, I'm going to take care of him. He gave him his own blanket. And he told his buddy, he said, don't worry about it. He said, I'm going to give you my blanket. He said, I'm going to manage on my own. Somebody's going to give me theirs because he's big. Um, his... Buddy was needed more nourishment to try to recover, to be able to recover, and they were on rations. And so what Angus did is he gave his buddy his food. I mean, he gave it all to him. He said, "I'll, I'll, I'll get some extra. Don't worry, but you eat it." Well, as about several, as several months passed by, his buddy began to get better, but Angus' health was deteriorating. After four months, Angus McGillivray, the biggest, baddest soldier in the POW camp, died doctor examined him and what he discovered his fellow Scottish doctor he said he died of basically of exhaustion and starvation he gave everything that he had for his buddy that his buddy might live now what happened is when everybody in the camp found out about this it changed the, the complete complexion of that camp they saw somebody love somebody else and they started loving their fellow soldiers. They began to care for one another. They quit stealing from each other. It's really interesting. In this particular POW camp, they started a library system, trying to get everybody to read, to be able to get their minds off of, off of their condition. They started a little hospital. They started a church. They called it the Church Without Walls. The Japanese soldiers were so blown away by what had taken place that some of the soldiers, they began to attend this church, this POW church. But it was one man who gave all that he had to somebody else that he might live. And it changed him. Y'all, the example for us is one man gave everything that he had for us. And it has the ability to change our lives. To set us on a new course. See, God loves you. And his love can change you. And I look at the way that God loves us. First of all, he loves us while we are helpless. He loves you right now. But the second way I see that God loves us is he loves us to protect us. A part of his love is to protect us. Look in verse number 9. It says, much more than since we've now been declared righteous by his blood, we will be saved through him from wrath. 
We need protection. Everybody in this room needs protection. What do we need protection from? Well, verse number 9 says we need to be protected from wrath. Whose wrath do we need to be protected from? It's not your wife. It's not your husband. You know whose wrath you need to be protected from? God's. He said, well, I knew God was out to get me. You know why God's out to you? It's not that he's out to get you. It's we feel this way. It's because God is a just God. Now, he's a loving God, but he's a just God. And God will always mete out justice when someone transgresses his law, his leadership. Name, I said, well, why can't God just cut me some slack and not do that? And I'm one of those people. Because right? I don't like punishment. I like justice for y'all. I don't like it for me. Y'all feel the same way? We like justice for everybody else, but man, don't give it to me. But because God, He is a loving God, but He's also a just God. And He will mete out justice when we break His laws. And the unfortunate thing is that every one of us has sinned against God. Every one of us is messed up. And therefore, there's justice that has to be paid. God's a just God. And we understand this in our own lives. You know, if somebody, let's say you're driving down the road and there's a drunk driver that runs a red light, slams into your car, totals your car, and you're sitting there at the scene and a policeman shows up and he walks over to the drunk guy and he tells him, hey, it's no big deal, why don't you get in your car, go on home, you know, get some rest, sleep it off, we're not going to charge you, don't worry about it. How are you going to feel if you're the victim? Are you going to be irritated? I mean, I know that some of you are super, you're super spiritual and you're not going to be bothered at all. Let me tell you something, I'm going to be ticked off. I ain't mad. Why? Because I want justice. I want you know, because if the law is going to matter, then there has to be teeth behind the law, right? Because if there aren't any teeth behind the law, nobody's going to follow the law. It's not make that much of a difference. There are teeth behind God's law when we break it. You know what God's the teeth of God's law are? Eternal separation from God in a place called hell. We break it. There's a price to pay. Now that is scary, because, and we need to take hell seriously as, as believers. That's a real place. The Bible says it's a place of suffering, it's a place of separation, it's a place of complete hopelessness from God. God is a just God, and some people from that say God's a mean God. But let me tell you something, God is a loving God. And because he's a loving God, he has set up a path for us to be able to avoid the punishment of sin. How did he do that? He sent Jesus to be a sacrifice for us, to take our place. In John 3.18, here's what it says. It says, anyone who believes in him, Jesus, it says he is not what? You all have to read that. He's not condemned. But anyone who does not believe is already condemned because he's not believed in the name of the one and only Son of God. You believe in Jesus, you place your hope and, and faith and confidence in him, you're not condemned. If you don't do it, you are condemned. So God offers grace to us. Let me try to give you some, a, a pretty simple example of grace. I like to play golf. I'm not any good at it, but I enjoy playing. And so my father and I typically try to play uh, a couple of times a month. And so I'd like to play every week, but uh, for some reason it doesn't always work out. But when we get together... We, neither one of us like to warm up, and we don't practice. Practice is good, by the way. So we don't practice, so we only set up a tee time. And I set up a tee time. The last time we played, I arrived right when it was time to tee off. I jumped in the golf cart, drove straight to the first tee, uh, grabbed the ball, put it on tee, and stuck it in the ground. I mean, Dad's already teed off. I mean, seriously, I just walked right up, grabbed my club, 
took a swing at the ball and yanked it straight left into a neighborhood. Uh, Not a good way to start off your golf game. Two-stroke penalty. Dad, because he's gracious, said, we're not going to count that one. And I'm like, yes. He said, hit another one. Now, this is a rarity for me. I hit the next ball, and I hit it straight down the fairway. I mean, I crushed it. Probably a buck fifty. And right down the middle of the fairway. Get up, hit the next shot. It's in the fairway. It's a par five. Third shot, I put it on the green. And then I make a putt. I made a birdie. Now, this rarely happens. Now, technically, I did not make a birdie. If I had taken a two-stroke penalty, I mean, I, my score's up. And I would have been lucky to, to just simply double bogey the hole. But because I received grace, because my dad offered it to me and I took advantage of it, I made a birdie. Guys, in a similar sense, in our relationship with God, he offers us a mulligan because he loves us. And that enables us not to pay the complete consequence of the law. See, God loves you. When he loves you and you allow it to affect your life, it marks your life and makes you different. How does he love us? He loves us when we're helpless. He loves us to protect us. And it's the last thing I want you to see, and I'll be done. How else does God love us? He loves us to death. We say that all the time. Oh, I love him to death. He really does. He loves us to death. Now look in verses 7 and 8. In verse number 7, it says, For rarely will someone die for a just person, though for a good person perhaps someone might even dare to die. But God proves his own love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And then go to verse 10. It says, for, for if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God through the death of his son, then how much more, having been reconciled, will we be saved by his life? And not only that, but we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we now have received reconciliation. There is an old saying I'm sure you're familiar with. It says, Jesus loved us this much, and then he died. Now, it doesn't say that Jesus loves just good people. It doesn't say that Jesus just loves people that go to village church. He loves the world. He loves us in the midst of our sinfulness. Verse 7 tells us, now, now somebody might dare to die for a good person. God, Jesus, chose to die for us when we were not good people. When we were helpless and when we were ungodly. He gave himself for us because he has the ability to free us from the debt of sin. Uh, Romans 8, 3 and 4 says what the law could not do since it was limited by the flesh, God did. It says he, he condemned sin in the flesh by sending his own son in flesh like ours under sin's domain as a sin offering in order that the law's requirement would be accomplished in us who do not walk according to the flesh but according to the spirit. Jesus came here to take our place. Sacrifice. And that's why in 2 Corinthians 5.21 it says he made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God in him. Jesus came here to reconcile us as a sacrifice to God. See, he's just. The price has to be paid. Jesus said, I'll pay the price. As I pay the price, then that means that I will reconcile man to God when they trust in me. 
That word reconciliation in our verse, it means a restoration to favor. And as we're in debt, we owe God because of sin. But Jesus comes in, he pays the debt. Therefore, we're debt free. And we stand before God. We have returned to favor with God. And whenever you're not in debt, isn't that a great feeling? I know you all have, but you remember what it was like when you had a car and you actually paid it off? Wasn't that so nice not to send a check in you know, every week? Or every week, every month? Isn't that nice? You know, it's, 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 that I can use that money for something else. I remember a few years ago, the, uh, uh, Emily drove for a number of years a Ford Windstar. And let me tell you something, there is nothing that says stud more than a man driving a Ford Windstar minivan. I mean, I love that thing. Had the flames on the side. No, I'm just kidding. It was awful. Um, I, as a matter, I would not drive that thing unless we like went to Chattanooga uh, to go see Emily's parents. And when I did, I would wear a, a mask, a sack over my head. Kind of down the road. You might love Ford Windstars. Great for you. I hate them. So anyway, we had the car for a long time. It was a good car. It was a good car. We paid it off, and that was great. Not long after we paid it off, I took it down to Atlanta for Atlanta Braves baseball game. I had four guys with me. We go down there. We pull into Taco Bell. We get down to Atlanta. We're going to eat because the game had just not, we were two hours early. Hadn't started yet. Eating Taco Bell. I go out there to try to crank the car up. And I, I'm, uh, the way I'm parked, I backed in, and I could not, it would not go into first gear. The transmission had just, it was gone. I mean, there's just like fluid all under the car. Because I don't know anything about cars. I'm like, man, what happened there? But it won't, go, it won't go into first gear, and I'm you know, yanking on it. And uh, so anyway, we put it in neutral. I can drive it in reverse. That's great. I'm in Atlanta, and uh, so I drive, because I'm, I'm at Taco Bell, and there's a gas station across the street. And so I put it in reverse. I've got four guys with me, and I drive in reverse in Atlanta, downtown Atlanta, across the road. Okay, I am not very happy. You know, so uh, totally humiliated. We finally get it towed. We go to a dealership. I ask the dealer, you know, I was like, I mean, I'm ready to get rid of this thing. And, you know, we paid it off. How much can we get for this car? And I'm not, I, yeah, I promise you, here's what he told me. One dollar. He said, I will give you a dollar for this van. And I was like, you got to be kidding. We finally pay the van off, and now I can get a dollar for it. You know, what, how miserable is that? Now, God pays off our debt. And sometimes we think, well, that's great, he's paid off my debt, my debt, but now I am a broken, useless person because I've been scarred by life. You know, I'm like, I'm like a junky Ford Windstar, and I can't even get a dollar for this. Paid off, but I'm worth a buck. Here's the neat thing about God. That when we surrender ourselves to him, he pays off our debt, but then we're told in 2 Corinthians 5.17, that he makes us new. If any man be in Christ, he becomes a new creation. The old is gone. Behold, the new has come. We're also told in Colossians 1, 19-22, For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in Jesus, and through him to reconcile everything to himself by making peace through the blood of his cross, whether things on earth or things in heaven. And you were once alienated and hostile in mind because of your evil actions, but now he's reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, and blameless before him. Now, we can't earn the good favor of God. None of us can. In our own, we are helpless. But here's the good news. God, he really does. He loves us. 
He loves us while we're helpless. He loves us to protect us. He loves us to reconcile and restore us. And Jesus willingly put himself in harm's way to bridge the gap between God and man. And he did it because of love. Are you branded? And that's the closing for us. Are you branded? Have you been branded by the love of Jesus? Because if you haven't, as you're going to pay the consequences for it, to be separated from him for an eternity. But that's not what he desires. He desires for you to be restored to him, to be reconciled. And you will be reconciled because of his love.